1: Brian
0: Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us today is one of our favorite uh, our favorite guests, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and of course, everyone knows a rock and roll aficionado. But, <laughs> but uh, Michael's here today to talk to us a little bit about Former presidents uh, hiding their and eating their and flushing their their papers. So, without any further ado, Michael, welcome back to the show and thanks
2: for joining us. Thanks so much, Brian.
0: <laughs> and as usual, we're gonna uh, we'll take a quick break to help pay the bills. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about uh, presidential politics.
1: Hey, just ask the question, podcast listeners. If
0: you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q Podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Carman With me is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And Michael, I guess the thing I want to talk about today and just asked the question about uh, which is, you know, of course the title of the show, but I I just want to ask you this question. Does Donald Trump face any, I mean, we've talked, you and I have talked several times on this show about possible legal recriminations against the former president, but does he face any real uh, legal recriminations for what happened Finding some of his presidential papers at Mar-a-Lago, including some top secret papers.
2: He could, but it's he always
0: could. (laughs)
2: He, He could, but it's not probable. The records, the Presidential Records Act governs the preservation of documents. And President Trump was warned repeatedly by multiple chiefs of staff and White House Counsel's Office that the Presidential Records Act requires that all official records be maintained. Trump thumbed his nose at that and famously tore up papers and that should have been preserved and flushed others down the toilet or put them in burn bags, all of which violates the Records Act. Um, But the the Records Act really relies on the good faith of the president Um, And so while technical violations have occurred for many presidents, um, the scale of the violations that we've seen in the Trump White House is unprecedented. But as I said, there's no criminal component to the Presidential Records Act. However, there is a statute, which is called 18 U.S. Code 2071, involves concealment, removal, and mutilation of records and it says specifically, whoever shall willfully and unlawfully remove or destroy or attempt to do do so, um, an official record shall be fined under this title and imprisoned for not more than three years. So there are criminal sanctions that apply to unlawfully removing, mutilating, obliterating, destroying, attempting to do any of those things to official records. And if you remember correctly, Sandy Berger, back um, in the day, was prosecuted for taking out um, classified records. I think it was to give to a reporter or some such thing. And he was prosecuted and, and convicted, if I remember correctly, of a violation of this very statute. And so in theory, Donald Trump did the same. The hard part is bringing a prosecution where the president can be proven to have willfully and unlawfully and knowing it to be illegal, destroyed or attempted to destroy records. And it would seem that, well, that's prima facie made in this case. How do you tore up a, tear up a record and put it down the toilet and not know that that's, that's illegal? So my answer stands, Brian. It's, it's theoretically possible, whether it's probable remains to be seen, but. I don't think they would bring a case against this.
0: It seems like it, no matter, I mean, for those who are um, opposed to or, or find the former president reprehensible, uh, <laughs> that he seems to be able to get away with a lot that few others have been able to get away with. I mean, Edward Snowden tweeted out that he, he remembers when it was illegal simply to copy uh, top secret or, or government records, and he's the living proof of that.
2: Um, right, and in fact, Ryan, Yet, yeah, I mean, you have to remember one thing. Sorry to jump in, but the, yeah, no. this, this statute, this law, this um, make it a crime to destroy record stuff, was passed after Nixon, um, in sort of in response to Nixon, because Nixon, you know, famously was destroying records. The Rosemary Woods destroying the seventeen minutes of audio tape that probably was a smoking gun of some sort in the Watergate yeah. investigation, which could never. Uh, be found and Nixon you know, fought um, the distribution of materials back to the National Archives. He wanted to uh, retain it himself and do what as he wanted. But so they passed this law that we've just been talking about And the agency um, that receives these documents, the um, National Archives um, retains these documents. And after 12 years, they are made public. So, I mean, it's important it's important to understand the history of presidencies. For example, what would we be like as a country if we didn't have access to the documents in the Johnson administration about all that they did to cover up what was actually going on in Vietnam versus what they told us? It's so important to have heard um, from the historical record what was going on there so we don't make the same mistakes. This is not really about- Those are Pentagon Papers. That's right. We, we, this is not about punishing President Trump or punishing Richard Nixon. It's about making sure that we understand our history so that in bad cases, we don't repeat it. So it's you know, shocking in some sense uh, for a person who has sworn an oath of office to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the United States to engage in conduct that is reckless, having been told that he can't and shouldn't do it. But
0: Michael, isn't that the case of pretty much? I mean, you know, you, you, they don't want to teach history as it occurred. They want to whitewash it, literally, uh, you know, which is why they don't want to teach about slavery. Why they don't want to teach about all the things that the United States did for, for years, not wanting to teach how we treated Native Americans. I mean, it's kind of been that way in this country for I don't know since the get go. But in your let's but staying on on Nick's, the Nixon and and uh, Trump thing. It, in Trump's case, there are those who are saying this man, if you wrote the law after Nixon to ensure that you could keep the records and it's not working, is Trump that good at avoiding uh, the law or is the law that poorly written?
2: I think both. That is, Trump has a lifetime of experience in avoiding legal sanctions for his behavior, both in the private sector, it appears, and in the public sector. The reason that the January 6th committee is interested in finding out what's going on here is that they're tasked not with charging anyone with a crime. That's up to the Justice sorry about that. Go ahead. I'll say that again. (laughs) Yeah. You can edit it out. The January 6th committee is interested in these documents, not because they're charged with bringing criminal. Hold on, um, hold on, just a second. Hold that. Why don't we? Et- okay, so
0: we're we're back. Sorry for that short break. Go ahead. Do you want to? Do you want to? You'll no, go ahead. So, I mean, the, no. The the question remains: Is it that
2: is poor? Is the law poorly written, or is Trump that good at avoiding it? The law is, I think, poorly written, and Trump is good at avoiding law that should govern his conduct. The January 6th committee, which has no authority to indict anybody, but has authority to rewrite laws that need to be updated in light of what they find in their investigation, should take a hard look at this, because if the president of the United States can destroy documents that are relevant to historical records or the work of the Congress or the work of prosecutors and the law does not easily allow allow for sanctions, then that law needs to be changed. Similarly, the Presidential Records Act, which we said has no sort of teeth to it, perhaps should have more teeth to it, just like the ethics laws that govern the White House. Remember Kellyanne Conway, Conway, uh, the advisor to the president was twice found to have violated the ethics laws by the White House Ethics um, Council. But it leaves it up to the president to decide what, if any, sanctions should be imposed. And the president chose to impose no sanctions. Same with um, others in his White House. Perhaps the thing needs to be looked at from a standpoint of fine to have these laws, fine to have ethics laws, fine to have Records Act preservation. But there also has to be sanctions for those who violate it beyond sort of what exists presently. So
0: if these laws are written in such a way that you leave the punishment up to the president and there's no punishment, isn't that an indication that perhaps, um, I I mean, you talk about having teeth, I'm talking about jail time. Can you, is that what you mean by teeth? Well, independent and, and independently of the president to decide to make decisions independently or independent from the president, particularly if it's members of his own administration, wouldn't it seem logical that we should place the punishment part of that outside the purview of the executive?
2: Well, so two things. Let's make sure that we separate them. There is the Presidential Records Act, which has no criminal sanctions. It is just the obligation to preserve documents, and what I'm saying is, Let's perhaps start there.
0: Let's start there. Perhaps should that not be rewritten, so that there are uh, that it does have teeth, and that there are sanctions that bite, and, including perhaps jail time for willful destruction of property. Can that well, be done? So, or, or at least, or at least sanctions outside the purview of the president.
2: So, there. Let me just try to say it clearly because I think I've been confusing people. The Preservation Act is an act that carries no criminal sanctions. It relies on the good faith of the president. And I don't know how you impose teeth in that for a president who fails to adhere to his obligations to preserve documents. Well, simply, separately, but well, wait, wait, give me, give okay, me one second, Brian. Okay, right? sure. Separately, from that, there is the criminal code. And that's enforced by the Justice Department. And the criminal code specifically has a provision, as I said, Title 18 of the United States Code, Section 2071. People can look it up. And it says, I'll read it. It says, whoever willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, destroys, or attempts to do so with intent Shall be fined under the statute, and imprisoned not more than three years. So there is a criminal statute that specifically governs when people destroy or attempt to destroy government records, and that includes flushing and eating them. But, <laughs>
0: yeah. but so, but so the question the, is, the question is, can the Preservation Act be amended to include criminal sanctions?
2: What you'd have to do, I think, is amend the criminal statute to make it clear that one ah. who does not comply with the Presidential Records Act violates this statute. And okay. so you'd work it that. You'd work it that way. You, you, walk, you work backwards instead of You, you work it. backwards, saying whoever whoever woefully um, conceals, destroys, or mutilates, uh, or attempts to do records. Um, including records required to be preserved under the Presidential Records Act, comma shall be prosecutable. Okay. And so I think you could do that.
0: Now, on the second part of it, on Kellyanne Conway, and that uh, you know the sanctions being left up to the president in that case, that is where can you not remove those sanctions and the and the and the punishment from the pur- purview of the executive and place them elsewhere? So an independent. Uh, party, a jury, a judge, could sanction? Or is that, is, is that incompatible with the control that an executive would need to execute the office of the President of the United States?
2: Probably the latter. Probably it would be unconstitutional to, for example, place in the White House an Inspector General. Remember, there's an Inspector General right. in all agencies in the Executive Branch, Just, Justice Department and Treasury Department and Defense Department all have inspector generals who can investigate independently things that are going on in their agency and and file reports and make referrals for criminal prosecution no such. Entity exists within the White House it's not clear to me that having an inspector general would be constitutional, but what you're talking about is something akin to that some mechanism within the White House that allows for an ombudsman, an ins- inspector general, somebody to be able to take an independent look at what's going on. I don't know that that's constitutional, um, but that's what this fact pattern seems to call out for. Well, and if,
0: you, you, you know, it would be unconstitutional to do that while they're in office, could it be considered and taken, um up after a president leaves office?
2: Well, we learned from the Mueller investigation that the Justice Department believes that a sitting president can't be charged with a right. crime. We know, I don't believe that myself, but please, yeah. I... That's what the Justice Department believes. Right. Others disagree. Constitutional yeah. scholars, um, many of them disagree with that. But, that let, but Mueller said, uh, it's not for me to resolve that. I am going to stick with what is DOJ policy and I'm not going to charge the sitting president. Of course, what remains clear is that once the president leaves office, he, she is an ordinary citizen and the law can be applied to them at that point. So for example, Mueller in his investigation said, I'm not going to say whether these things are criminal law violations. I'm just going to recite the facts and we'll leave it to DOJ to decide whether they're criminal law violations worthy of prosecution. Well, Barr said, I'm not interested in pursuing this and he sort of closed the case. But those cases can be reopened. Those cases have not run the statute of limitations. They still exist in place for many of these statutes. So for example, the Garland Justice Department wanted to look at any of the evidence that Mueller presented Uh, to determine whether or not there's a prosecutable case there you know asking Don McGahn to lie uh, or asking Comey to go easy on Flynn or all the other things that the the Mueller report uh, reported on those are still viable cases that the Justice Department could look into if it had the uh, sort of will to do so. Ah and
0: that's the point isn't it is that there doesn't seem to be a will to do so?
2: Well we haven't seen any evidence that there is a will to do so. But, you know, the point in time, we have to reach a point in time somewhere where we put Trump behind us. I mean, we're, we're in the second year of the Biden administration, and news of Trump and his shenanigans carries on as lead stories on most evening news um, pod, uh, that's, a dif- that's a different story that's that tells me a little bit about the press but <laughs> no, fair enough fair enough and and, but, uh, and and i'll and i'll tell your listening audience um they should go listen to my podcast that said with michael <laughs> Zelda, and listen to my interview with brian Carroll on his great book on the first amendment and um the free of the press and so if you want a full elaboration an hour-long conversation with brian about uh, that point that he just made have a listen to that said with Michael Zeldin and you'll get Brian at his very, very best. <laughs> and by the way, it was a great, that was a fun time. It <laughs> was, was a very interesting conversation. Very important but conversation. That's, but that aside,
0: there are those, and thank you for the plug on the book and, and, and uh, I'll put a plug in for your podcast again. It's a good podcast. So, but that aside, there are those who say you can't really put Trump behind you until you hold him accountable for what he does or did. Because, you know, you, you know, you want to put yourself, if it's a murder, you want to put yourself past it, right? You want to move on, but you still want to hold the, the criminal accountable
2: for what he did. Is, your thoughts on that? It's This is a very difficult question. Gerald Ford faced it in Nixon's case, right? Yes. Nixon leaves office. Gerald Ford becomes the president. And here he sits, ordinary citizen president, former president Nixon, subject to indictment. And Ford makes a deliberate determination that we will never put the Watergate and Nixon saga behind us unless we just sort of close the book this way, through um, a presidential pardon. Because if there's a trial of Richard Nixon, and then an appeal, and then whatever else, a second appeal, this will be, years where we're still litigating Watergate. And, and Ford said, we've just got to move behind it. Yes, I know people are disappointed that Richard Nixon isn't gonna be held accountable under the criminal laws, but this is what I think Gerald Ford says in, is in the best interest of the country. And I don't know looking back all these years that he was wrong. I know at the time I was pissed because I thought Nixon should go to jail for, for his criminal conduct. But I'm not sure that Ford was wrong. And so I'm not sure in this case that you can't get beyond it unless he's criminally charged. The difference between Nixon and um, Trump is, however, that and this, is, this makes the argument a little bit more complicated. Nixon could not run for president again. He was, he was done. Uh, he had won twice and, and, that, and then resigned and that was that. Trump is still eligible to run for president again, and so the argument that we have to just He's put it behind, him behind us by twice. pardon right right the The argument that we can just pardon him and put it behind us and then have him run for president again really sits a little bit more uneasily with me
0: um, well and i would I would argue, and I think others make a better argument than I do about this that that pardoning Nixon, while it, in effect, allowed us to move on past Nixon, also because it almost legitimized what he did, since there was no consequences for it, set the table for what we've been left with in Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan, for that matter, but, or George Bush, but that it's, it's normalized a pattern of behavior that says presidents are above the law, and that they can get away with pretty much anything that they want. And yeah. how do you how do you deal with that? Because ultimately I think the real question for the United States is not getting past, not just getting past Donald Trump, it's making sure that Donald Trump never
2: happens again. Fair enough. And as I say, I, I remain conflicted about this. I, I think we all me, do. Yeah. F of me says, um, if there is evidence that he committed a criminal offense that you can prove beyond reasonable doubt, indict him and put it behind us that way, and let him be precluded from running for president as a convicted felon. If that's if that bars no. him from running for president, part of me says I'm so tired of stories of Donald Trump. It's like you take my podcast, and and yeah. Maggie Haberman has a book um coming out and, and we had I interviewed Carol Lennig and um, on 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 her book and that was fine but there are like three others since and Maggie's is coming out and I'm thinking like how much more can I you know stand to talk about Donald, Donald Trump
0: that's why I didn't write about it everybody said you were there you were in the White House write about Donald Trump I was like I I, I don't want I'm tired of I I want to write something that'll make people understand why Donald Trump happened and, and, the, and how we participated as the press in it and how to make sure it doesn't happen again.
2: Well, I, and, that, and, and in your book, you you trace you know, the, the lineage from Nixon uh, to Reagan to Trump, uh, and that includes Barack Obama and others. It's not yeah. just, uh, and, and Bill Clinton, They're, everyone yeah. has got their fingerprints all over the, the um, dilution of the value of a free press which everyone should read your book to to find out more about it. But you're absolutely right. This This is a systemic problem that we have. And one of the things that I think that's so important about the January 6th committee is that they need to be looking at all of these things to figure out what all needs to be done to correct it, including, though it's not directly relevant to what happened on the day of January 6th, but throwing out reporters you and acosta from the white house because i don't like the types of questions that you're asking all of that sort of stuff the national shield law stuff that you talk about has to be incorporated and i think into a comprehensive report that is within the responsibilities of the january 6th committee and we're
0: going to talk more about the january 6th committee after we take this short
2: commercial break and
0: pay the bills we'll be right back stick around it's just ask the question I am your host, Brian Karam. With
2: me today is Michael Zeldin. Michael, before we go to break, uh, your podcast is? That said, with Michael Zeldin on Spotify, iTunes,
0: Apple, all the... All the... Wherever fine podcasts are sold. (laughs) We'll take a short break. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, you. Yeah, You. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
0: Hi, we're back. It's Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Caram. And of course, with us still is Michael Zeldin. Michael, before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about the January 6th commission. And now moving forward, they've, uh, <laughs> they've sent subpoenas to a few other people uh, from the Trump administration. Tell me, where is this going? Is, is this an exercise in futility, or do you really think that anything will be done by this commission? I mean, they the Republicans, the RNC have sanctioned the two people in their own party that have, uh, you know, they censored them, who have helped out, who are participating. So it makes it, they're trying to make it look like it's a, a one-party witch hunt against Donald Trump, so
2: is anything really ever gonna happen out of this commission? It remains to be seen. I think where we are, Brian, is at a point where the commission is receiving a lot of cooperation from a lot of people. There are a lot of shiny objects, Ivanka Trump and Mark Meadows and Steve Bannon and the like who are not cooperating with the committee. And you know Shock. and making, you know a, a political fuss of it. But I think that by the spring, the committee will have a very clear sense of what happened and who participated in what aspects of this. And my hope is that they will engage in Watergate styled congressional hearings where these cooperating witnesses are brought forward, to tell the American people the truth about what happened, starting with the big lie, going through to the events of January 6th, and then the aftermath, the false electors schemes, the efforts to denigrate the election um, campaign, tabulation machine company, Dominion, the whole, scheme. I hope that they can lay that out in a way that is comprehensible and lets people understand that what went on here is just undemocratic. And those who participated in it have to be held accountable to the public, if not criminally, to the public to be essentially precluded from participating in the democracy again. And that would mean never voting for Donald Trump.
0: Realtor hope. Uh. What was that? Was that you or me? You. <laughs> but the, uh, the thing that I keep going back to is um, and, and and speak to this a little bit. It says this was when they um, when the RNC censured Cheney and Kinsinger last week, whereas representatives Cheney and Kinsinger are participating in a Democratic led persecution of, quote, Ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse.
2: It's ask Mitch McConnell, and he says it was a riot. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely he said, not. absolutely untrue. Untrue. Yeah. This was a riot. Ask uh, Mitt Romney. Absolutely untrue. It, it is a riot. The statement there, which they tried to walk back a little bit, um, is incomprehensible. That they could look at the events that occurred at the Capitol. Leave aside the uh, ellipse, the the speech that Trump gave. Trump could give his speech, and those people can cheer him and 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 you know mourn his departure as president. And that's legitimate discourse. But when they get to the Capitol and they storm it and they desecrate and they defile it in the ways that they did, anyone who, cu- who views that as being legitimate First Amendment protest rights doesn't understand the First Amendment or is not interested in understanding the First Amendment or the importance of our democracy.
0: So will there be people in Congress kicked out of Congress? Will there be people who are in Congress prosecuted for this? Do you see, as a federal prosecutor, as a former federal prosecutor, do you see grounds to charge any members of Congress for their role in that
2: day? Not from the evidence that is publicly available. From what is publicly available, the answer is no. Do I see conduct which, if I were a voter in the districts of Jim Jordan or some of the others who were very active in promoting the big lie? contesting the uh, the tabulation of the votes, arguing that Pence had the constitution, constitutional power to send this election back to the, to the state legislatures. If I were in his jurisdiction, I would not vote for him. I just don't believe that he understands what representative democracy is all about. But will he be reelected? Of course, because the way gerrymandering is, um, Set up, these districts are more and more secure across the country, both on the Democrat and Republican side. The country is being gerrymandered into two camps with the number of contested congressional seats shrinking by the day. And so, you know, as we go forward, the prospect of Congress working cooperatively across um, the aisle is shrinking. And that's really bad for our country.
0: Yes, but uh, I agree with all of that. But again, when it comes to January 6th, you know, you talk about things that they say legitimate political discourse. To me, that's traitorous terms. I mean, to me, that's traitorous language. To me, it's, it's an anathema to everything that this country stands for. I, there are friends of mine who were reporters. One of them got sucker punched in the back of the head. They planted pipe bombs there that were found. Uh, police were doused with bear spray. They they carried the Confederate flag through the halls. They stole public property. They stole government property. They stole private property. Uh, there were people that defecated on the walls and the floors and smeared it all over Congress, all over the Capitol. For a I, I find it reprehensible, of course, that the language by the RNC stated that it was, you know, political, you know, <laughs> acceptable political discourse. Or legitimate political discourse, and I accept what Mitch McConnell says. But, but all of that aside, again, how do you go forward? How do you go forward in this country without holding those accountable for these things that occurred? And I well, think that's where we're at. I mean, I, I don't. There's, as you said, we're we're gerrymandered into two countries almost. But really, it, it boils down to being. Accountable. If you and I mean cutting through all the baloney, if this were you or me that were involved, you know damn well they'd come after us. And God forbid if it were a minority. But the the simple fact of the matter is, if you don't hold people accountable, how do you go forward?
2: Well, all of the people who did those acts that you described on the grounds of the Capitol, if they are identified, they will be prosecuted. That's been made. Crystally clear. There are many, many, many prosecutions already underway against all of those people. The question that you ask, though, is what about the members of Congress who um, cheered them on? Hawley, who gives his raised fist, like right on to the protesters as they get ready, the insurrectionists, as they get ready to, to storm the Capitol. That itself isn't a criminal offense. That is. No. Um, that, that's you, not, and that doesn't.
0: Look, that's not what. No, bothers. no, but I'm
2: saying, but I'm saying, Brian, the you asked about members of Congress, and and I said to you, the answer is, they shouldn't be voted. They should be voted out of office. But I agree with that. But I don't, I don't know that if their are, conduct violates criminal laws. At least, that's, well, it's, it's publicly known. Part of it.
0: Yeah, as far
2: as what we know publicly,
0: yes. At this that's point, all, in time, that's, that's all I'm here, saying. Yeah.
2: If you're asking me whether whether what they did was acceptable, the answer is no. Of course. If you ask me whether they should be able to serve in the Congress of the United States, the answer is no. If you ask me, does that conduct rise to the level of a criminally chargeable offense, the answer is not on the evidence that I've seen publicly, which is not to say that there isn't other evidence that's being gathered that might give rise to a prosecution against any of those. But I don't have um a window into what the Justice Department yeah. or is gathering.
0: No, yeah, nor do I. But I and all right, so I agree with everything you say, but I you know, when you have, I guess the concern is if there is evidence that is found that would link members of Congress, directly to the actions that occurred, the uh, riotous insurrection that occurred on January 6th, either in organizing, helping to organize, or participation in, will they be held accountable? And the fear among many is that they won't be, that there will not. And by the way, there's, you don't, and, and case in point, or to make a point, you don't need to You don't need to prosecute them for criminal activity to have them expelled from Congress. I just don't think there's the will in Congress to have that done.
2: That may be, but if there is evidence that a member of Congress in any way joined in the conspiracy to obstruct a congressional proceeding, then they should be charged with 18 U.S. Code 1505, which makes it a crime- to obstruct a congressional proceeding. And it's plain and simple. And the fact that they are members of Congress should not immunize them from prosecution uh, for that action. All I'm saying is so far I haven't seen any, any evidence to support. Evidence. That. Right. So I have, you know, you, you can have surmi- surmises that it's probable that some may have, but that's not how you bring charges on some sur- surmises and probabilities. You need evidence. What innuendos not good enough? <laughs>
0: not, not not yet. <laughs> Thank God for that. That's yeah. um, so you know, innocent until proven guilty, and I like to see evidence myself. Uh, that's but that takes us ultimately. Ultimately, what do you think the best thing is that this country can get out of the January sixth commission? What's the end game?
2: A complete understanding of what occurred from beginning. To end. And as I say to you, if this is a conspiracy that starts with the big lie and moves through what um, the Trump team Navarro calls the Green Bay sweep, which was an effort to get Michael Pence to not certify the election, to send it back to the state legislatures where they had these fake. Electors all ready to go forward. These fake electors would then be put forward by these Republican-controlled legislatures. They would go back to the Hill. Mike Pence would certify the election using these false electors and announce that Donald Trump won. That was their that was their scheme. And we see it in its various stages as this January 6th committee proceeds. And if the January 6th committee can lay out what occurred here, and who was involved in each step of it? Then each of those people should be held accountable. If it's just in the court of public opinion, uh, making them sort of unelectable again—pariahs,
0: social pariahs, yeah, yeah. right—or political pariahs, anyway—that's
2: right. Or um, criminal, uh, putative criminal defendants. That's what the that's what the committee and then proposed solutions that. I'll prevent it from happening again. So like they're talking about changing the electoral count act to make it clear that the vice president performs a ceremonial role. Everyone knows that he performs a ceremonial role, but people like John Eastman, who worked for Trump, made a you know convoluted argument that that uh, in his mind, it could there, there was a possibility that he could. Do it. It was all convoluted, but now they are thinking about, let's make sure that this law is airtight so that Rudy Giuliani or, or Sidney Powell or John Eastman or any of these guys don't have um, a crack within which to try to throw their lunatic ideas. So that would be a benefit. Um, but I think most important is if you watched, if you were old enough to watch the Watergate hearings, and you can watch them on television, Sam Irvin. Um, I said, Dr. through them. Sam Irvin, um, Republican from North Carolina, um, ran these hearings, and did so masterfully, so that we understood what Nixon and Haldeman and Ehrlichman and John Dean and all these guys did um, to undermine our democracy. And some of them went to jail: Dean, Ehrlichman, um, Civiletti, all of those. President's men went to jail. And Nixon don't forget, E. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> e. Gordon Liddy, um, and Nixon was impeached and, uh, or you know, resigned facing impeachment. And he carries on his uh, tombstone, "Impeached" or you know, re- resigned in face ah. of impeachment. And um, that that's the burden there that they will carry throughout. History, and I think that's the same sort of burden that the January 6th committee needs to impose on those who are responsible for the acts of January 6th. And remember, January 6th is not one day. January 6th is, in my view, just one overt act in the broader conspiracy that started with the big lie and went through the false electors. And
0: yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I go back to September 23rd in the White House briefing room when I asked the question, win, lose, or draw, We accept a peaceful transfer of power? And he said, quit counting the ballots and there won't be a transfer of power. I mean, I think you can make a good case for, uh, you know, the big lie and the insurrection and and January 6th having started right there, or at least being announced publicly right there. It it may have even it it obviously started before then because there were wheels in motion. But I think at it, it, I think Donald Trump was trying to make sure that no matter what the vote count was, he wouldn't have to
2: leave. Right. So if you it, you know, if you ask me as a former pre- federal prosecutor, what am I looking at here? I look at it in terms of what you would need to prove in an ordinary conspiracy. In an ordinary conspiracy, a conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people, and then steps in furtherance of that conspiracy. You and I and one other person agree to rob the bank. That's our conspiratorial agreement. Then the overt act is we go down to the bank and we go inside and someone says, hand over the money. And then I drive the getaway car and and we go home. That's our conspiracy. Those are overt acts. That's a chargeable crime. In this case, I believe that the conspiracy was to try to ensure that Donald Trump was retained as president, even though he lost. And the overt acts of it include telling you what you just said, per- perpetrating the, the the big lie, the speeches at the Ellipse, where we are going to uh, fight. Uh, Rudy
0: Giuliani. I was there. Trial by combat. That's that's the term that he used.
2: Right. And, and, um, and Trump's incendiary language. Then another overt act is they go down to the, the Capitol, they storm the Capitol. And another overt act is they have a false electors scheme. So all of those things are the overt acts in furtherance of this conspiracy. And I think that the January 6th committee's obligation is to lay out to the American people just how invidious this thing was and who's played what role in it
0: one thing i remember about the watergate hearings is that was front stage and center on american television pretty much every day i mean my mother who loved her certain soap operas and her game shows didn't get to watch those because we were watching the watergate hearings and sam urban and and watching you know john dean come out and and and, and can cop it, cop to it all and and say what he did that can help convict or or help convince people that what we had was an unsavory president, but we don't see that with this commission. So yet. are you telling us yet? Yes, yet. So do you think there will be those who say, put it behind us, but do
2: you think no, no. You See Watergate style hearings for this? I think there have to be. the The difference between then under Watergate and now, what we don't know is the wild card of Fox. And will Fox, if there are gavel to gavel hearings uh, covered by CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS um, television, will Fox also cover those hearings? And if they don't, um, do we risk the failure, the ability to convince those who believe what Trump says on Fox, that what he's saying is not true. That's yeah. something, Brian, you talk yeah. about this in your book um, and Fox, the Fox News channel is a, makes it much more complicated. If they're, if they're gonna do counter-programming against the the hearings um, and the, and the people who don't want to know the truth don't have to learn the truth because fox is not covering it that's a big problem
0: yeah i agree but i think you got to put it out there anyway i think at the end of the day you have to i i agree with you i believe that you have to have those hearings yeah i don't think there's any way around it
2: no well, i think it's an imperative
0: yeah we're gonna we're gonna take another short break and then we come back we've got to talk to the other side of your personality we've got to talk about rock and roll so stick around <laughs> It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. We'll be right back.
1: In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter. Now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
0: Hi, it's Just Asked the Question, and I am your host, Brian Karam. And now the fun part of it, well, it's always fun with you, Michael. I, I don't want to say that it's not, but I do love talking to you about music. So there's I the one thing I was thinking about, I was talking with my wife the other day, about uh music that we grew up with and when you think of rock and roll right you're thinking of sometimes two guitars vocalist a drummer a bass player though that that's your standard for the beatles you know the stones the who uh, even uh, bob dylan and his band the band all of them kind of had a standard um, makeup sure you might have harmonica in there on occasion so i'll throw that one in there but what would be your favorite bands that what instrument have you heard played on rock and roll that isn't normally associated with rock and roll?
2: So, it's a great question, and the bands that immediately come to mind are Jethro Tull. Oh, with yes. with the flute, with the flute. Yes, blood, blood, sweat, and tears. Um, ah. with with uh, the big organ and and yes. and, and horns. Um, as, as examples, Chicago, when they first came out, they were called Chicago Transit Authority. Yeah. Um, Ooh, now you're going back. <laughs> they, they they also broke the mold of um, the, the, the uh, three guitars or two guitars, a drum. Um, and, and I think they were very important in the development of history. And you can go back a little bit earlier than them. And you have Paul Butterfield Blues Band, The Blues Project, um, uh, Al Cooper, uh, those bands, I think, were great, great bands. Um,
0: I, I like the and, mandolin. That's one of the instruments that I also like that you don't.
2: Well, and you saw that, you saw that, did you not, in in um, Rod Stewart and Faces? Yep. Didn't, yeah, didn't there you go. That? Didn't they have that in there? I am particularly, I particularly like, um, and Bob Dylan used it um, on his Rolling Thunder tour and um, some others in other um uh, venues the the violin i really like the violin in um rock bands i, the I, 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 I guess they I, I would call it a fiddle right well, it's, it, you know it's ever present in country um, yes but but you, you uh if you listen to uh i think it's i think it's um the rolling thunder review or Live at uh Budokan, the album by Dylan, they have a, a great uh violinist um part of many of their songs. I'm going to throw
0: two bands at you that I also would throw into that mix, and that would be Electric Light Orchestra mm-hmm. ELO and the Moody Blues, which threw in a lot of stuff that you would see, and and all of those kind of go back to the Beatles too. I mean, using an orchestra in in uh rock and roll, but of course then there's Queen, <laughs> who did a lot of that as well. But, I, but, I like if you're,
2: but but if your question, Brian, was about bands, not, right. not the orchestration of the, the music uh, so much or the, the wall of sound sort of stuff, but rather what bands had an instrument in it that, that right. was unusual to them? And what's the I, oddest I, thing you've ever heard? Well, I thought just Jethro Tull with that with Ian Anderson flute. and the flute was really un, unusual. I don't remember whether Fairport Convention also had a flute or a violin. I can't. I can't remember. But that I remember when that when that came out, um, I thought, "Ooh, that's that's unusual."
0: I, I think Jethro Tull may have. I, I'll go with that as my that was my number one. Um, and then number two, I, I always went with Moody Blues just because of what, the variety of strange instruments and the orchestration, the arrangement of their music. But yeah. you know, it was so far away from the Buddy Holly, Beatles, rockabilly, and the uh, the rhythm and blues roots that you talked about um, too. You know, I mean, Chicago Transit Authority, Chicago had added. You know, there's some R and B roots to that, and and yeah. but it's. It's the weird stuff that you wouldn't associate with rock and roll that just, you, you go, huh? <laughs>
2: right. Well, that's, I, list, I listen periodically, and then I get into that period of listening to those sort of things. But I listened to the album, Charles' Father to the Man, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, which is an unbelievably good album. And that also has, you know, sort of all the uh, Paul Butterfield and Blues Project sort of roots in it. And, but that's a great that's a great album. So, I I would invite your audience to go dig it up on whatever uh, app they listen to their music on and on listen Spotify. to <laughs> Child is <laughs> Father to the Man is a is a
0: so good here's, album. Here's an uh, and oh and uh, uh, not uh, EO, not um elect, no brain salad surgery um God. losing the the uh, the um. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Thank you. Uh, they had some weird instrumentation. But here's the other question: Who's your who's your favorite one hit wonder? Oh God,
2: that's a very hard question. <laughs> who's my favorite one hit wonder? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. There's, who's yours?
0: Well, I've got two, but I don't know if. He, Technically, I mean, they went on to other iterations and had other hits, but I would go uh, Steeler's Wheel, Stuck in the Middle. That was the only hit I think Steeler's Wheel had, but that was uh, Jerry Rafferty, and he went on to, you know, that, and then uh, Free, All Right Now, was a one-hit wonder, but then he went on to be, you know, to join Bad Company. The vocalist there um, went on to Bad Company, so but those were two one-hit wonders that I liked a lot.
2: Well, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, and I was trying to collect my um, thoughts. But there was that song. What's the name of the the band? Um, the Lion Sleeps Tonight. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> a wing a whip, a wing my what? Who
2: did yeah. that? The Token.
0: Um, the, the Token. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's a good one. That's... And then, and then, and then again, this is from my childhood. Um, Uh, stuff there was um uh question mark and the the ministerials
0: 96 tears
2: 96 great song song. you never i never knew whatever happened uh to them after that so Uh, no you could go blind okay maybe i maybe i go with um with those two, as uh, because the, that tokens, the Lion Sleeves Tonight was a big hit, if I remember correctly. It was huge. I love that song. And I don't know, uh, I don't know whatever happened to the tokens. You know, you don't know the genealogy of these things. You know, you don't know whether the lead singer for the tokens actually turns out to be the guy who formed <laughs> the Goo Goo Dolls and, you know, and the rest <laughs> of it. I don't, I don't know. I don't follow the, that, that lineage that, that well. Uh, and then one from my childhood, I'll
0: throw in there as well as uh, Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky.
2: Ah, uh, Yeah, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. That's that's another artist, artist who I don't know whatever happened to. And there was one that was, yeah, I don't know what happened. And there was one, uh, and I only heard,
0: they, I think they may have had two, but it was Sugarloaf, Don't Call Us, We'll Call You. Um, which was uh, which was a, a one-hit wonder, but then they did come back with Green Eyed Lady, but um, the real hit was "Don't Call Us, We'll Call You," and that you know, was there, pretty fun.
2: Yeah, you know there are things, there are people whose whose like there's there's this guy whose song I listen to a lot called "Walking in Memphis," Mark Cohen. Oh my he, God, that's a great song. Right, and I saw him. Many years ago, he was playing with Jackson Brown, um, and so he's still on tour and he's still playing great music. But he's never had a a hit um, like that again. And there was another there was another band, um, the Proclaimers. I'm Remember, gonna
0: be 500 miles, and I'm gonna be 500 more. Da 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 da. Yeah, that's a great one. Whatever, whatever, happened uh, to
2: them? And I like that song. Uh, so I, well, I don't. Well, and know. Tal, uh, Tal
0: Bachman, I think, had one. Now this is Randy Bachman's son, and he had one um, called uh, uh, "Shoot." It was uh, uh, now I have to look it up, but it was uh, "She's So High Above Me." She's so high above me, like Cleopatra and Joan of Arc and Aphrodite. That was a great song. And you never heard from him again after that. But uh, that was Randy Bachman's son from Bachman Turner Overdrive, but a great (laughs) song.
2: Yeah, well, so, but the thing is that sometimes one hit wonders implies the band had a song. It went on the charts and then the band never did anything again. Whereas the band could be doing a lot of great music. You they just never of them. <laughs> they just never had a another commercial hit. Yeah, uh, like like Stevie Van Zant um, produces some great music, but it's just not commercial. It's not commercially successful. But his music yeah. is terrific stuff. Um, but it's not commercially successful. So what you don't know is whether they had one commercially successful song. Lou Reed, "Walk on the Wild Side," was his big song, but but. He oh, had a, a he great career, I mean, right. Sweet
0: Jane, and, and I, I mean I there's no way you could call him a what, but, no, but, no, but the Velvet
2: Underground, a, the, Velvet the Underground, Underground was, right. was was sort of one album, um, right? That um, uh, but I think of Lou Reed as a individual artist as um, a Walk on the Wild Side song, um, but not um, not much else as a solo artist. But I expected his music you know sort of lived on well beyond 1972 when that song was was released i just don't remember what all he did
0: well uh good yeah there's a i'll throw one other one in there sister hazel i can't even remember what was their song change your mind they're an hindi rock and they had a great great song called change your mind uh but you don't hear much of them at all they were a, a you know independent rock group but and I think they they ditched their label because they didn't want to be on their label. That, that's a a great story. But Lou Reed, I think, I I mean, to me, Lou Reed was you. Know, you look at uh, the first time I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show, for example, and I saw Doctor Frankenfurter. I didn't see Doctor Frankenfurter. I saw Lou Reed. <laughs> that's to me, it was he was Lou Reed. So. Yeah. I, I, I can't I, Lou Reed to me has always been a, kind of an icon of, of uh, rock and roll but mostly out of the Velvet Underground you're right
2: Right, right. There, there was a guy I used to listen to who had one album he might have played more but he, he had one album that I liked particularly an artist named Jackie Lomax oh yeah <laughs> and then I don't know whatever happened to Jackie Lomax um, but I liked his first album but uh, that was that Yep. And I don't know what happened to him either. <laughs> well, I know what's going to
0: happen to us. We're, we're going to wrap it up before we, we, we disintegrate into talking about rock and roll for the next hour and a half, which would be fun. But <laughs> Michael, I appreciate you being here. It's always a lot of fun. Um, My
2: pleasure, Brian. It's great. I love talking to you.
0: Yeah, me too, man. Well, we'll, we'll have you back soon. And and hopefully we'll have uh, more news on January 6th and, and a, the presidential, uh, You know, diet of eating uh, some of his uh of his his presidential papers or flushing them. (laughs) The show is just ask the question. I am your host Brian Keram. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.
1: In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just ask the questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.